Island Shakespeare Festival's Shakespeare Playground presents Tales from the Vomitory. 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. At Island Shakespeare Festival, our mission is to provide accessible classical theater realized for a contemporary audience. Tales from the Vomitorium is presented with special permission from Scott Kaiser and is made possible in part by support from our sponsors, the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, and Whitby Telecom. Learn more at islandshakespearefest.org. The Audition Monologue by Scott Kaiser Read by Amanda Noriko Newman It was a typical January morning in Manhattan, and Ginny was on her way to Lincoln Center on the subway. She had an appointment to audition for a spot in Juilliard's actor training program for the fall. Ginny was only 17 years old and had never been to Manhattan, so absolutely everything in the city was new and unfamiliar to her. Her good friend Sophie, who was a year older and a freshman at Fordham, walked her to the D train station in the Bronx that would take her downtown. Break a leg! Sophie shouted across the turnstiles. You know I will! responded Ginny without missing a beat. God, I'm just exhausted, Ginny thought while riding the D to Midtown. Three nights on Sophie's couch? How am I supposed to audition when I haven't slept? That couch is dreadful. I'd be much better off on the floor. Ginny got off the train and emerged onto the street at Columbus Circle. What the hell? She thought. Oh, damn, this isn't Lincoln Center. How do I... Bicycle tour of Central Park? Asked a man waving a large sign on a pole and right in her face. No, no thank you, said Ginny, walking away briskly. She turned 360 degrees to try to orient herself, but nothing looked familiar. She finally asked a pretzel seller on the sidewalk. Excuse me, which way to Lincoln Center? It's that way, that way, shouted the pretzel man in an East Indian accent over the traffic noise. He was pointing north to where Broadway diverges from Columbus Circle and doubles in width. Ginny crossed the street in front of the big golden globe. Watch out for the taxi! She admonished herself at the crosswalk. Jesus, don't get hit, you damn idiot! She set out walking north, toward the Juilliard School. Or so she hoped. God, don't lose your nerve, she thought. Shit, I think I'm losing my nerve. No, don't, Ginny, don't lose your nerve. You're good enough. You are. Everyone says so. I just hope that you've picked the right monologue to show it. Oh, for a horse with wings, she said to herself. At about 63rd Street, Ginny lost all confidence in where she was going and stopped walking abruptly, to the deep annoyance of the natives moving along with her on the sidewalk. The pretzel man said it was this way, so how could I miss it? Why would he lie about something so stupid? Would a pretzel man take pleasure in misleading a total stranger? I should have bought one of his stupid pretzels. Maybe that's why he lied to me, because I didn't buy a stupid pretzel. Maybe I could have eaten it. I haven't had any breakfast yet. But every time I think about this audition, I lose my appetite. She pulled out her phone and opened up Little Miss Googleheimer, as Ginny liked to call the Maps app, and typed in Juilliard. Turn left onto 63rd Street toward Columbus Avenue, said Miss Googleheimer. What? That can't be right, protested Ginny. Turn left onto 63rd Street toward Columbus Avenue. Miss Googleheimer insisted. Oh, <laughs> yes, I see. You actually do know where I am, don't you? She said, crossing Broadway to the other side and heading toward Lincoln Center Plaza. 
Okay, we're almost there, Jenny, she said to herself. Run it through in your mind another time. Here's thou, Pisanio. He is at Milford Haven. Oh my god, this is such a long shot. I mean, literally, one in a thousand. I must be crazy to think I could get in. No, Jenny, no. Stay positive. Concentrate. Run your words. Well, don't step in that poop. Jeez, why did you wear this dress? It's such a mistake. The yellow one was prettier. Wait, what's the next line? Shit, it's all a jumble. Read and tell me how far tis thither. You must be crazy to think they'd ever let you in. You're just not pretty enough. Why would you ever think that you had a shot? Okay, that's enough of that, Jenny. Don't sabotage yourself. Just get there. If one of mean affairs may plot it in a week, why may not I glide thither in a day? Wait, is this it? Yes, I recognize the fountain. This is Lincoln Center, but which building is Juilliard? Okay, now I remember what Sophie said. Across the plaza, behind the fountain, around the pool, down the steps, across the street, a granite facade. Walk faster, Jenny, you're late. Damn these high heels. The Juilliard School. Yes, that's it, you made it. Shit, I'm sweating. My makeup must be running. Don't be scared. Be bold. Be daring. I guess I better go in. Open the door, wait. What? Oops. <laughs> Use the revolving door, you big dope. God, help me. In I go! Ginny auditioned beautifully, showing the auditors some of her best work. She even got called back later that afternoon, but she did not get accepted. So I think what struck me uh, upon reading this story the first time was actually something that struck me the first time I read Cymbeline the first time, which this uh, story is inspired by. And that is the clarity or lack thereof uh, in a young woman's mind, a teenage girl's mind, uh, so to say. And, and I love that. Uh, in Cymbeline, where Imogen is is uh, given a letter with the promise that she's going to see her husband for the first time in a very long time, she has this similar reaction. And the last time I, I saw a production of Cymbeline, uh, the actress who played Imogen did this beautifully. And just the the lack of focus or the focus on this one thing that is so exciting that it spawns different tracks in your brain that all really lead to the same thing but <laughs> kind of go in different ways and there's no linear thought and it is such a probably a, a teenage person thing but especially I think a teenage a teenage woman um there there are just so many things that go on in your brain that yeah that that feeling of, okay, but I can do this, but I can do this. And then, oh, what about this? And what if this happens? And all of that is just so, it rings so true to life uh, that I love that scene in Cymbeline. And the story echoes it really nicely with the, the audition monologue too. I think the idea of, okay, but Google can't be right. And what about the pretzel man? And, oh, but I have to run my monologue. And I think that's just such a, a very teenage girl. And in this case, a teenage artist uh it it rings so true and i love that about this i think another thing that struck me was actually the last line of of the piece but she did not get accepted uh 
when I first read it, I was, I was shocked. But in going back and thinking about it, it actually really tracks because, of course, in Cymbeline, Imogen is being sent to Milford Haven, so uh, Pisanio can kill her under the orders of Posthumus, who thinks she's been disloyal to him. And so Imogen does not get the happy ending she wants, and, you know, I guess Ginny doesn't get the happy ending she wants either, but both characters are doing their best, and it's just a outside set of circumstances that keep them from getting what they want. And I like, I like how it is paralleled in this, in this story. This was a lot of fun. The Goosefoot Community Fund. Goosefoot works together with the South Whidbey community to create essential solutions. We address community needs, connect neighbors, grow local businesses, and preserve great places. Learn more at goosefoot.org. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 Short Stories by Scott Kaiser. Today, Scott is with us to talk about his story, The Audition Monologue. Scott, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me here. All right. So, The Audition Monologue, which certainly gave me flashbacks to uh, getting lost in New York, trying to get to an audition or to, to some some important appointment. Uh, it's very easy to get turned around and lost. <laughs> so I feel for Ginny in this story. <laughs> Reading it the first time, I was like, oh, no, you're so close. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about what inspired this story? Oh, sure. Um, I, I did, in fact, audition for uh, Juilliard and when I was 17. Um, and I had, I had been to New York, but this was my first time going to New York uh, on my own. Um, I did, in fact, stay with a friend who was way uptown and uh, had to very early in the morning get myself to Juilliard. And, uh, um, and uh, yes, uh, I did. Uh, in fact, uh, I got into a cab and the cabbie um, uh, did not, uh, have a strong command of English. Um, so I ended up, uh, um, pretty far away from where I needed to be and had to struggle to find Juilliard. Um, and, uh, fear that I would be late, uh, my monologue running through my head. Um, so th this is an experience that's very, very close to my own at age 17. Um, and as you say, New York is not a, a fun place to be, um, uh, you know, young, naive, and lost. <laughs> All three of which I was. Um, uh, I, um, my monologue was not, of course, uh, a monologue of, from Cymbeline. I did, wasn't going to do an Imogen. Um, I decided at the tender age of 17 that the best monologue for me to use for a Juilliard edition was Richard III's um, um, Now is the Winter of Our Discontent, uh, which, of course, was a, a, <laughs> was a terrible choice. Um, um, and I, I did a terrible job, I'm sure, of auditioning. Uh, but somehow I did manage to get a callback, uh, which, um, which uh, surprised me. Um, because I, I didn't think I had done well. Uh, the auditors were very stoic. They were very reserved. And I figured the cold reception 
uh, meant that I wouldn't get a callback. I did get a callback, though, but I, I didn't get in. Um, you could debate whether getting into a Juilliard at the age of 17 would have been a good idea or a bad idea for me. But, uh, <laughs> I didn't have to make that choice. Um, so, yeah, so much of this experience, though, is, is in fact, you know, based in in my life. And I'm sure you remember what it's like going to an audition in the city, trying to remember um, what it is you, you want to accomplish, trying to remember your words um, while dodging buses and 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 crossing streets and uh, you know trying to figure out uh, you know wh- where which way the numbers go and uh, it's 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 extremely stressful. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to be holding in your head, and then you have to go and like be grounded and and share your work and it's it's a lot. It's hard. <laughs> Well, now you lived in New York. Uh, I never actually lived in New York, so I'm sure your experiences are um, are far greater than mine. Uh, having spent uh, time there, um, you know, as a resident, which I never had to do. But that gives you a false sense of security because then you think you you know your neighborhood, and you're like, oh, I'm I'm I know how to get around here. And then you go to a part of the city that you don't spend a lot of time in, and you're like, where? What does North even mean? You know, so. I, I don't know. I I think you're maybe more like tuned into it if you don't live there. Well, the time that this happened to me, I, of course, there was no phones. There was no GPS. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if I had a paper map at the time because I very, you know, I very cocky young man. I figured, well, then the street numbers go up. Right. And there's west and there's east. And so how far off can I get? Um, and, uh, but the cabbie, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see that happening. The cabbie, uh, and I don't even know what language thinking back, he was speaking at me or what I told him, but I do know that I was a a good, a good ways away from where I needed to be. (laughs) Yeah. When I lived there, uh, I don't, I don't think I had Google maps. Maybe it was Google maps. I don't know. I had an Android at the time. So the map app was just barely, like, in existence. But only just barely. I was learning to use it when I, when I lived there. So it was, it, it helped, but sometimes it didn't. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will tell you this story, though. Um, you know, uh, the, I, I got back into the doors at Juilliard um, as a mature man. I think I was probably 50 years old. And I then had the job of director of company development for OSF, for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And um, I can't tell you what what a joyful experience it was as a ambassador for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival to be admitted back in the front door of the Juilliard building um, and um, in, in order to audition their outgoing class for uh, employment as actors at the festival. Um, I really had felt at that time and, you know, decades later that my life had come full circle. I was not admitted to this school. Uh, They didn't want me. And here I am, um, you know, now in, in my early 50s and I'm back through the front door um, I have a credential that I'm wearing, and uh, now I'm doing the auditioning. Um, it, it was an extraordinary, the first time I did it, it was an extraordinary day for me um, mm. to have come full circle. And I will always remember that day. Um, because when you, 
as you know, when you're rejected um, uh, by an admission, you're not, um, uh, you're not, you didn't get the role, you didn't get into the class, whatever it is, um, there's scar tissue there. Uh, it never goes away. And I felt in that moment of entering the building um, and finding the studio in which I was going to audition Juilliard students, that somehow uh, that tissue was at long last healed. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a, a what an experience to to have. I don't I didn't audition for Juilliard. <laughs> I was like there's no way. I wanted that you know as a as a ninth grader I was like I'm going to go to Juilliard and then as a 12th grader I was like I'm not going to Juilliard. No. <laughs> that's not a thing. So Good. Oh, it was it was quite a fantasy for me. I <laughs> yeah. I I was uh, I, that's uh, that's where I wanted to be. It's where I wanted to go. Oh, I I uh, mean, for sure, of course, and good for you for actually like trying. You know, I I didn't even give myself the opportunity to be rejected because <laughs> it was too much of a dream. So I was like, I'll just self sabotage that one and say nope. So, but yeah, what a what a what a truly beautiful full circle experience um let's talk a little bit about Cymbeline that's also a weird play (laughs) it is a weird play it is I mean it's it's deeply satisfying in so many ways um Imogen is is my favorite character in it without question and her arc is so beautiful um and then there's all this this just strangeness <laughs> um, that uh, that comes with the territory. Um, um, gods descending, you know, Jupiter descends, and you know, a, a lot of that stuff is just cut in a lot of productions. But um, uh, you know, Yakbo uh, y- um, kind of coming out of a trunk, you know, um, uh, trips back and forth to Italy. Uh, it, it's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of strangeness there, especially the war, what's going on with the war, um, posthumous joining the other side and then helping them to be victorious. And then, um, and then an ending where, uh, the audience is at least 25 minutes ahead of the characters on stage. That's always, uh, a challenge. Uh, if you've been in Cymbeline, if you've done Cymbeline, one of the most challenging things about it is, is the ending, because the audience already knows everything that the characters are discovering in that final scene. They are, the audience is way ahead of you. And for a director or for an actor, keeping it uh, alive, the discoveries, um, when there are no revelations to the audience, we already know everything that's, that's coming out. It's, it's very, very challenging. In fact, I think it's one of the reasons that George Bernard Shaw, I think Cymbeline was, was his most hated play from Shakespeare, uh, he felt it was a deeply flawed play because the ending, for that very reason, that the ending was, uh, in his mind, amateurish and impossible to play. Do you agree with that? No, I've seen it work. Um, I, I have seen it work. But, you know, the joy of the ending is the same um, as it is in in the, in the comedies of identity that uh, the actors have to be so engaged in. Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, <laughs> I, that's what happened, you know, and like, wait a minute, you were the one who, right. It's, it's all in the playing of it. It's all in the style of it. And it's all on the actors to really 
um, have these massive, you know, realizations of the heart in the end. And that's part of the joy of watching it. We already know what's what, uh, you know, what they don't know. It's about watching um, great actors uh, play the revelations beautifully. And that means a director who really understands that about the ending and, um, Unfortunately, not every director really understands that that's the way to uh, to engineer the last twenty five minutes of the play, um, and and really uh, lean into that um, because it's a romance. It's not a comedy, and um, uh, in a lot of ways, it it needs to be handled um, with elements of comedy. Even though you've got characters like Yakimo confessing and saying, "I did it. I did it. Do with me what you will." I'm guilty and I did it and I repent. Um, not very funny stuff, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's how it's revealed that it needs to be handled very carefully. Right, right. Well, and there there are so many kind of epic moments and th- then there are some like really small moments too. It's like it in some ways feels like a, a big epic fairy tale and in some ways feels really intimate and personal. So finding the balance of those two, of those two sides, I think can be really tough and, and hard to track for, for an audience. I've never um, been in a production or, or been part of a production team for a production. I've just seen it. And that's what has struck me is like, Oh, I feel like I'm, pulled to like have this really big experience and then also pulled to have these like really um, intimate moments too. I think you're right. It is, it is part of the problem. I mean, there's, you know, it takes place in, in, you know, Roman Britain. So what's that about? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's already challenging enough. And uh, you know, we have visitations by the gods, um, the early scenes, it's a love story. Posthumus and Imogen, you know, like Romeo and Juliet, uh, are being torn apart. Although in this play, they are married before the play starts. Um, the play starts with, a, with you know, these old codgers talking about um, with long, heavy exposition um, that is very hard to follow. Um, and then the intimate scenes between Posthumus and Imogen. Then you have the evil queen straight out of, uh, uh, you know, Sleeping Beauty. Um, and then, uh, you know, an ineffectual king, um, <laughs> um, this character Clotten, this, this, this king's, um, the, the queen's son, who's a fool, um, is, is suddenly a new stylistic, uh, contribution, the, the kind of a foolish heir to the throne. Um, every scene introduces a brand new way of looking at the style of the play and it's very disorienting yeah. for an audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of directors get lost in it because, you know, what style of production can encompass all of those different uh, genres? Essentially, I mean, there are moments of comedy as well, um, but you know, it is a it is a real mishmash of genre um, in you know in the way uh, a romance uh, can be. And uh, it's very hard for a director, I think, to find an umbrella that contains all of that um, disjointed uh, uh, structure uh, when producing the play. Yeah, definitely. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how um, and what themes you are kind of highlighting in, in the story that you've written? Well, uh, of course, it could because uh, Ginny is is my Imogen, 
Um, and uh, the the Imogen that um, is discovering uh, that there are that there are liars in the world, that uh, not everybody is a courtier, that there is suffering in the world. I mean, Imogen in Cymbeline has been uh, nurtured and protected and sheltered her whole life. And part of her journey in Cymbeline is discovering uh, what life is like uh, outside of um, the royal court. Um, and for me, um, the idea that that Ginny in my um, my story is is the same sort of uh, sheltered young girl who comes to New York with a uh, with a fantasy of of uh, being accepted to Juilliard, and uh, um, you know is is disoriented and uh, um, and f- finds the pretzel man, <laughs> you know, meaner than he needed to be. <laughs> Um, you know, and just, just dealing with, with, uh, real life New York city, uh, uh, pressures, uh, is, was for me, the equivalent of, of Imogen in the woods trying to find, uh, Milford Haven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that, that idealistic auditioning for Juilliard too, like, <laughs> I think is, is a, a moment of, uh, realization for lots of of young actors when you when you are growing up doing theater in a smaller uh a smaller world and it feels like the whole world but um those first experiences of um auditioning for strangers are is is always like oh this is really different (laughs) yes and of course you know the juilliard audition is they see thousands, though literally thousands. So you just you're just a um, you're a, a very small small uh, part of their their day and weeks of auditioning for a new class. So uh, um, even though it's a massive event for you, um, for the people behind the table, um, you are um, you're one drop in a sea of of young people trying to get in. Yeah. Any final thoughts on uh, on the play Cymbeline or this experience of uh, the audition monologue? Um, not that I can think of. Not that, some, that that I haven't said. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Alina. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium. 38 Short Stories by Scott Kaiser Sound design and composition by Orion Schwalm This episode was sponsored in part by the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, Whidbey Telecom, and by our listeners. Support us and learn more at islandshakespearefest.org